Well, good morning, church. You guys doing okay today? Yeah? You doing good? Yeah? Thumbs up, everybody? Doing, doing awesome? Great. I hope you've had a good summer so far. You've been able to get away for a few days, maybe on some vacation time and spend some time with a family. If you haven't yet, just a warning, there's only one month left, so get it in while you can. I know for myself, so we are leaving um, on Friday for student camp in North Carolina on a big tour bus. So if you think about it, definitely pray for our group um, for sure. But also, if you're feeling generous, then you could, uh, you know, I, I would encourage you to consider donating some energy drinks or perhaps a, a stress blanket um, for me as well. I would definitely receive that. Um, so anyways, I hope that, uh, I hope that, um, I hope that you guys have enjoyed the study of Luke that we've been going through for the last, uh, the last few months. Um, whenever we go through God's word exegetically, so chapter by chapter, whenever we try to expose God's word instead of put what we want it to say on it, whenever we, instead of doing that, we expose God's word and hear what is it that God wants us to hear, man, it's, it's powerful. Um, and, it's, and it's convicting. And so I, so I hope that as we've looked at the life of Jesus through the pen of Luke, um, that your confidence in God's word as authoritative and as sufficient for your life, I hope that that has grown. Um, then also, more importantly, I hope and I pray that you have grown closer um, to Jesus as well as we've gone through um, this book of Luke. So just to paint the picture a little bit of the scene that's unfolding before us today in Luke chapter 20. Okay, so Jesus, he's been teaching in the temple and he's been addressing different groups of people at the temple through different illustrations and through parables and a group of, of Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Um, and if you remember, uh, Tracy, a couple weeks ago, he made the joke. Um, it, was a, it was a great dad joke. It was on point. He said that they didn't believe, because they didn't believe in the the resurrection, they were sad, you see. Oh man, that's, that, that's good. Man, I, as I get older and, you know, I have one kid, another on the way, and uh, I just, I just really, I really appreciate dead jokes. Like, there's just something about it that just really, just really feeds my soul. So I, so I appreciate that. So anyways, so after Jesus refuted them using the Bible to point out how Moses refers to his God as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and Jacob and, and how God is not a God of the dead, but of the living, that's right, thus proving the resurrection, it says that they no longer dared to ask him any questions. And overhearing this dialogue that was happening between Jesus and the Sadducees, apparently there were some scribes that were present as well. And I could be wrong, but it looks like they were trying to make an effort to get kind of buddy-buddy with Jesus a little bit. Since he just mildly roasted the Sadducees, they're like, you know, this guy, he's kind of got it going on. Like, I need, to, I need to get to know him a little bit. And maybe they were genuinely agreeing with the points that he made and like agree with him in general. Or maybe they were, sorting, they were sort of trying to like to prime Jesus a little bit with some words of affirmation so that they could later take advantage of him. Either one of those. I mean, that, that's probably what it was, honestly. And we'll talk more about the scribes in a few minutes. However, what we can see in the text is Jesus kind of sort of goes from being on the, on the defensive, right, with the, with the Sadducees. And, and he, he switches from that to kind of being on the offensive with the, with the scribes. Like the Sadducees, they were coming after him and he was defending himself against some of the accusations about him, some of the things they're implying about him. But the scribes, they never made a jab at him. They didn't have to. He already knew where they stood. 
And he sort of came at them without, without, without necessarily having to do it in that, in that moment. So he says to those scribes, and how can they say that the Christ, a.k.a. me, is the son of, is the son of, uh, of is David's son? How can they say that? How, how can these people, how, how, why are you hearing rumors about me being David's son? Which would essentially mean that my great, great, great granddad um, calls me Lord, kind of going against everything that would be culturally uh, appropriate and acceptable. And for us as well, it'd be like, if you're a granddad, your grandson calling you Lord, that just doesn't work. So, so why is that the case, he's saying? And here's the implicit answer, not explicit, but here's the implicit answer that Jesus gives. It's because I am the Messiah. That's the only, that's the only way that this works. Because I actually am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, which that probably didn't, didn't sit too well with them in that moment. And so last week, Jared, he pointed out this truth that we saw in the passage. It's not necessarily a, a command to, to obey as much as, as it is a, a truth to believe, right? It's not so much a command to obey, but a truth to believe. So whenever we realize, whenever we, whenever we just kind of sync up ourselves with that reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that truth saturates our hearts and it reorders and it reprioritizes everything for us. And so this week, we move on to the next chunk of the text. We'll be picking up in, in chapter 20, verses 45 through chapter 21, verse 4. So you can, you can turn there in your Bible. And before we read this passage, here's the, here's the big idea that we're going to look at this morning. Can you tell them I'm a, I'm a youth minister? I start off with the, with the big idea, right? And it's helpful for me too. So here's the big idea. What we are willing to sacrifice is directly motivated by what we think about Jesus. What we're willing to sacrifice, what we're willing to give up is directly motivated by what we think about Jesus. So let's read this passage together this morning. It says, and in, the hearing, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers." they will receive greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray together this morning. God, I pray that you would help us this morning. Help us to evaluate our hearts and our lives. Help us to see if the sacrifices that we are willing to make, whether or not they prove that we really believe that, who, that you are who you say you are, which is, which is the Christ, which is the Son of God. Help us to see how that reality should affect our lives Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict our, our hearts this morning through the teaching of your word, God. I pray that I would be more concerned with honoring you, God, and with, with rightly handling your word than with anything else this morning. So speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So what are you willing to sacrifice 
this morning? What are you willing to sacrifice? Going back to the spring of 2014, I was 22 years old, okay? So I was fresh out the womb. Um, had just graduated from college the year before, and I was about halfway through a ministry internship. And let's just say that, uh, that money was not something that I had a whole lot of at that point in my life. Uh, so the internship I was doing, it was, it was really cool, and it was a great opportunity. But here's the thing. It paid nothing. Um, and so that year, I worked on the side in retail. I worked as a babysitter or a manny, if you will, if you remember a few months ago. We talked about that. Um, and, uh, and I delivered coffee uh, or coffee products every Thursday using my uh, roommate's 2001 Hyundai hatchback. So that, that's, that's where dreams are made of right, right there. You just got to know. So some of my friends, they wanted to go on a trip to the Pacific Northwest, and it sounded really fun to me. So, I, so of course, I was all in. So I saved for this trip for a few months, but as time got closer, I realized that A, I was not going to be able to go on this trip because I couldn't save up quite enough money, or B, something was going to have to give, okay? I was going to I was gonna have to change something a little bit in order to get a little bit more money. So I was going to have to make a sacrifice for something that I really cared for. So what did I do? I took inventory of my possessions and I, and I realized that I had this, this nice set of some Bose noise-canceling headphones that my parents bought me for Christmas a couple years ago. And since I didn't really use them that much, you know, my, my hair it was starting to thin a little bit. So something about like the, the way you put it on, it just kind of rubbed my head. So anybody out there, anyone ever experienced that? No? Okay. It's all right. It's a little lonely up here. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> so naturally I decided I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell these things. So I put them on eBay because that's when eBay was more in their, in their prime time. Uh, and I sold them. I bought the plane tickets and I went off to Seattle with, uh, with four of my friends. And I got to say, man, it was, uh, it was an incredible trip. Um, we got to, you know, tour the whole area up there. We hung out in the Olympic National Forest and found like an abandoned railroad that we walked across. And we, we stood in line at Stumptown Coffee in, uh, in Portland, the hipster paradise. And we actually ended up being behind a famous musician in line, which we hung out with and took pictures with him. And we went to Vancouver. Someone stole $300 from me at a quesadilla shop. It was, it was great. I mean, it was just... It was, uh, it was incredible, except for the last part. So, so I had to make some sacrifices, but it was worth it. It was worth it. I had to, I had to make the sacrifice of selling my, my headphones in order to go on this trip. And so going back to the scene that's unfolding before us in our text, there's a sacrifice taking place here that our primary character, being the widow, that she is making. And her sacrifice, it showed and it displayed what she really thought about Jesus. It showed the sacrifice. It showed and it displayed what was in her heart concerning what she thought about this person, Jesus. So bringing us up to our text for today. So after Jesus responded to the Sadducees, and after he sort of took the offensive with the scribes, we can assume that now there's a lot of talking and maybe some, some debating and conversating that's kind of happening in the scene uh, that day in the temple, right? And look into verse 45, while all of that chatter is going on, or as it says, in hearing of all the people, in the hearing of all the people, Jesus sort of sort of nonchalantly addresses his disciples. He's like, he's like, hey guys, psst, hey, you see, you see those scribes over there? Beware of those scribes. Which is kind of like saying, hey guys, of, of everyone here that you need to, to look out for, 
of everyone here need to be aware of. Watch out for those scribes. Look out for them even more than the Sadducees who don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. Look out for them even more than those people that are among us that everybody knows they're wrong. So look out for the scribes even more than them. Why is that? So in the remaining six or seven verses, we see, we see Jesus compare and contrast the actions and the values of two and a half kind of characters, okay? He talks about the scribes. He briefly re- mentions a rich man and then brings up the other primary character being the widow. And what he says about them, what he says about these characters, it gives us a window into their minds and into their hearts concerning what they think about Jesus, So who are these characters and what do we see about them in our passage this morning? Let's take a look. So the first character or or characters, who is it? The scribes, that's right, very good, the scribes. So what do we know about the scribes? So the scribes, they have the responsibility of knowing, of teaching and interpreting the Old Testament laws, okay? So they are similar to the Sadducees in that they're a Jewish sect and they're known as being religious leaders. Okay, so they're similar to the Sadducees in that way. However, they're different in that they hold some doctrines differently like the resurrection of the dead, like we've already talked about. And they, they all, but another one, they esteemed oral traditions of the faith more than the text itself, it seemed like. Another thing about them, though, is that they're also known for being relatable and for being a little bit more on the, on the ground level um, with, the, with the people around them. So the Sadducees, they were historically wealthier. They were more distanced from the, from the commoners, from the common people. But the scribes, they were more likely to be around everyday people. So they are the people that you come to if you're having trouble interpreting and understanding how an Old Testament law applies to your life. So, and I got to say, it's, it's always easy to assume the worst, right? Sometimes about, about some of these characters in the, in the Bible, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, and we can just feel, oh, like they, you know, these terrible people, but, but it's possible but that, that, that their original intentions were good, maybe. So maybe they knew it was important to follow God's law. Maybe they wanted to care for the people that were around them by passing it on down to them, but it started to go wrong somewhere down the line. So it's helpful for us to remember that before we start judging them too hard here, right? So if we look back to Mark chapter 7, Jesus points out to them in verse 8 that they hold their traditions higher than they hold the commandments of God that they're known for defending. It says in verse 13 that they made void the word of God by their tradition that they have handed down. So one characteristic about the scribes is that they, whether, whether knowingly or not, okay, they allowed their traditions, which perhaps weren't always all that bad, but they allowed their traditions to supersede their faith. They ended up overlooking the heart of God and the point of God's law being to show people their sinfulness and their need for God's mercy and forgiveness. And they ended up turning the practices and the rituals and the, and the outward expressions of God's law, they ended up turning those things into the main thing, which was dangerous territory for them to be in. Now let's just, let's just pause there for a second. Is this starting to sound a little bit familiar? Is this starting to sound a little bit more relatable, possibly? 
Because this tendency that we see in the hearts and in the lives of the scribes, it's the same tendency that we can sometimes have ourselves as well, right? If we're being, if we're being perfectly honest. Depending on our background and, and the amount of exposure that we've had to our own sin and our own brokenness we've, we've experienced, how much easier can it be for us to approach our faith with a posture and the mindset that following Jesus is about checking boxes of tradition and it's about checking the boxes of our version of cultural Christianity? Church attendance, check. Give my 10%, check. Only listen to K-Love and don't cuss. Check, 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 kind of check. Go on a mission trip, check. Maintain the appearance of being humble and the appearance of being likable and the appearance of being nice, check. Maybe that's some examples on our end. But what are some examples for the, for the scribes? <clears throat> so halfway through verse 46, it says, they like to walk around in long robes and they love greetings in the marketplaces and they love the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. So basically, they like to walk around in, in fancy clothes that make them look holy and, and better than other people. They like being seen. They like being talked about while they're out in public. And they enjoy the honor and the benefits of their status when they're out in the synagogue or when they're going to eat or when they're grocery shopping at Brookshire's. They, they enjoy these things. So what, is all, what does all this mean? It means that when it came right down to it, the scribes did not have hearts for God. The scribes were all about themselves. They were all about the recognition. They were all about the fame. They were all about the honor. And the religion was simply a platform for what was in their hearts to be fleshed out. Their religion was simply a platform for what was in their hearts to be fleshed out. <clears throat> and here's the thing. You think Jesus was fooled by that? No, Jesus, Jesus wasn't fooled. He knew what they were all about. He knew what they were after, which was reputation. Jesus knew that even though they had this outward appearance of being religious, he knew how this played out for them. So despite all of that talk, okay, despite that game that they, that they tried to play, verse 47 says that these scribes actually devour widows' houses and for a pretense, they make long prayers, well, that's a little strange, isn't it? That's kind of a weird word to use. Like that kind of went in a different direction. So they, they eat widows' houses. Like what? Very strange. So what that means is that opposite of what they want people to think about them, of being holy and of being upright, when it comes right down to it, okay, when it comes right down to it on the heart level, they prey upon the weak and the vulnerable widow to take advantage of what little she has left for their own personal gain. And the same day that they go and do that, they can still stand up on Sunday, pray, pray a long and fancy and an elaborate prayer that continues this momentum of their faulty reputation. But remember, other people may not see it, other people might be, might be convinced by that and may think, man, they really, they really got it going on. But Jesus sees it. He knows it. And as it says at the end of verse 47, they will receive the greater 
condemnation. They will receive the greater condemnation than the Sadducees who don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they, the scribes, okay, the the religious, they will receive greater condemnation than those in which their sin and in which their wrongdoing and their rebellion is more obvious and is more external. The scribes are the ones that receive the greater condemnation. Man, those, those those are strong words right there. Those are convicting words. And and dare we ask, in what ways are we like the scribes? In what ways am I like the scribes at times? Are there any ways in which our religious activity is more about us than about Jesus? It's more about maintaining our reputation. It's more about adhering to a culture than about Jesus. Let's move on before we get... A little too personal in here. Let's, let's keep going. And hey, I'm preaching to myself too, okay? You need to hear that. So, all right, so switching gears here a little bit, but, but still continuing in the same dialogue, the same picture that's being painted. So chapter 21, verse 1, it briefly points out another character. It says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So who's the, who's the character here? So this is kind of the, like the half character that I, that I mentioned earlier. So traditionally, when you hear this story, there is, an, in my view, uh, more negative emphasis put on the rich here than I think is sometimes warranted. Not saying that there's not other points in, in Scripture that Jesus certainly um, talks about the rich and the dangers um, of the rich. There, there definitely is. But nonetheless, Jesus doesn't necessarily say that the rich person putting money in the offering box was doing it with bad motives or doing it with good motives. The point here is just that he was putting money in the offering box. In verse 4, it says that they were doing it out of their abundance. Again, not necessarily good, not necessarily bad. It's not the point of this part. It is what it is. So moving on to verse 2, the other main character enters the picture. It says, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. So we don't know a whole lot about that widow. We don't know who her husband was that passed away or if she had any other support or anything like that. All that we know, all that we know from looking at this is that she was a widow, which being a widow, as you can imagine, always brings with it an image of of sympathy and and, and an image of of vulnerability, right? And to go back 2,000 years ago, I imagine that being a widow would maybe even be harder sometimes than than it can be today. But either way, she was a widow. That's who she was. And this is where the story starts getting good right here. So Jesus was like, hey, disciples, Hey, look, we've been talking about all these religious people and we saw the wealthy put in their money and we've been looking at the Sadducees and the scribes and all that, but watch her. Watch the widow. She's the one you need to look at. Verses three and four. He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Two coins. That's all it was. Just two coins. Maybe enough for a, for a Dr. Pepper. But that's all she had. That's everything that she had. Why would she do that? The answer to that question displays the upside-down kingdom of God. And the answer to that question displays the reason why God delights in that poor widow. 
And the answer is this. That poor widow knew that Jesus was the Messiah. That poor widow knew that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And because of that, she wasn't concerned about maintaining her reputation. She wasn't concerned about maintaining her social image because she knew that Jesus was who he said he was. She wasn't, she wasn't concerned with where her next meal was gonna come from um, or whether or not her decision to put her final two coins in the offering box was the, was the best financial decision or the best financial investment because she knew that Jesus was who he said he was. She was willing to sacrifice it all and lay it all on the table, everything she had. And that's why Jesus said, you see that lady over there? You see that poor little widow over there? She is the one that put in more than everyone else. She is the one that I delight in. So let's ask ourselves this morning, church, do we actually believe, again, asking myself, same question, do we actually believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? Do we actually believe that Jesus is the risen son of God, that he alone is our provider, that he alone is our sustainer, that, that all things are made by him, all things are made for him, and, and that our deepest joy and deepest sense of purpose comes from, from knowing him and that the pleasures of this life can't hold a candle to the eternal riches of God's kingdom? Do we actually believe that today? And if so, what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice the comforts of this, of this life? Are we willing to sacrifice the safety of our, of our jobs and of our neighborhoods and, and paychecks? Are we willing to sacrifice our futures for him? Are we willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you are real. You're the son of God. You're the reason that I'm alive. Send me where you want me to go. Make me into the person you want me to be. Do with my family and with my kids what you want to do with them because I believe that you are who you say that you are and that you are ultimate. Naturally, naturally, we want to ask, what, what's the minimum that I can do? What's the minimum that I can give just to get by and to make God happy with me and just to kind of stay in the game, Right? But the widow said, it's your game, Jesus, all of it. It's your game. So take it all. Take everything I have, the last two coins. Take it all. She said on the cross that you've given me life, you've given me hope, you've rescued me, you've given me purpose. I could never begin to repay you. It's all yours. It's all yours, Jesus. So take it. So I ask, what are we willing to sacrifice this morning? Is there something that God has been calling you or that's been calling us to give up? Maybe it's something that, that looks more like a, like a baby step. And man, that's, that's okay. Praise God. That's awesome. Or maybe it's something that looks pretty radical and that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense on paper. Maybe God is calling you to sell your house and to move into a rougher part of Shreveport to spread the gospel. Maybe God is calling you to live overseas on mission for God. Maybe God is calling you to foster or to adopt. I don't know what it is, but what is God calling you to give up today? And better yet, 
what do you think about Jesus? Maybe that's a better question to ask. Maybe you need to spend some time really thinking and really considering and asking God to search your heart and to ask for yourself, what do, what do I really think about Jesus? Not what's the right answer on a quiz or not what do I want other people to think that I think about Jesus? What do I actually think about him? So what are you willing to sacrifice this morning? Because what you're willing to sacrifice is directly motivated by what you think about Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are who you say that you are, God, that you are the risen son of God, God, that all things are created by you and for you. I pray that this truth would be heavy on our hearts this morning and not just on our lips. And because we really believe that you are who you say you are, God, show us, show us what you want us to sacrifice, God, and give us the boldness and the strength to, to do it, not so that we can earn your favor, God, but because we already have it in Christ, because we already have your favor because of the cross, I pray that would be our motivation to sacrifice for you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand in.